Star Wars 7x7 episode 2897. All right, this is part four of the Kenobi series and our seven-point breakdown. There are no episode titles, and yes, how Obi got his groove back was definitely a popular contender for naming this episode, but I think we're going to go with Staring Contest. Punch it! Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy, and thank you so much for joining me for it. So we could have also called this episode Tension and Release because there's a lot of tension setup and <laughs> releasing of tension throughout this episode, expertly done over and over again and ramping it up every single time. And I'm getting ahead of myself actually because the concept of Tension and Release was actually number six on my action <laughs> list to talk with you about out of the seven, right? Because the tension and release stuff, that builds up over the course of the episode and point six was, you know, further along in our discussion of this whole thing. I guess it's our first thing now, but I'm probably going to circle back to it because it's something that I wanted to mention about that point that we don't necessarily have to just yet. So what would have been the first point, but is now the second point, has to do with the setup for this episode. And we talked about this yesterday on the mid-season review that they basically kind of telegraphed how this was about to unfold, that Reva had captured Leia. There was no way she was not going to capture Leia at that point. She wasn't going to let her run away the way that Vader let Obi-Wan escape. And she took Leia exactly where we figured she would take Leia to Nur. And the only way for Obi-Wan to rescue her was to get access to Nur from somebody who would be able to do that. And that, of course, was Indira Varma's character, Tala. So, yes, for a series that has been pretty unpredictable in places, that one, uh, yeah, that was kind of predictable to be sure. The third thing we'll flag in this episode is that we get more details about the path. And the path significantly is different from a rebellion, basically. The path is essentially a way to help Jedi escape from the attention of the Empire and to develop new lives, new identities, and get out in the galaxy and away from anyone who might hurt them. And whereas a rebellion isn't actually a fully formed thing at this time in the galaxy, I mean, Saw Gerrera is out there stirring up trouble, and Enfys Nest is just starting to gather people around the idea of some kind of resistance. Yeah, there isn't anything on the level of what we see, say, in Star Wars Rebels when we get to, like, five years before the events of A New Hope. On the other hand, this path is fully formed and operational, working from this planet Jabim. And the way that this whole path network has been presented, and we find out that there have been a couple of different houses that have been found so far. This is actually you know, organized well enough that they have to have helped a significant number of Jedi and or Force-sensitive people to get away from the Empire. So this is a big deal. I'll say that the only thing that really didn't work for me with the path situation was the conversation between Obi-Wan and Roken. And we talked about persuasion in storytelling and how difficult it is to you know, make a believable persuasive situation happen. It worked finally and it took a lot to do it for Obi-Wan in the first episode of the series. In this particular case, 
it seems like Roken has a lot of reasons not to cooperate with Obi-Wan Kenobi, but ends up coming over to Obi-Wan's side very quickly. It doesn't give you any indication that Obi-Wan's used any kind of mind trick or anything like that. So you know, he's at least done this honestly <laughs> on its face. But yeah, the persuasion isn't really there. And speaking of Obi-Wan's capabilities, well, they are finally on display, but in a very convincing way. Like, we see him and Tala on the way to Nur, and he's trying to use the Force to draw an object to him, and it's not really working well, and there's talk about, you know, the past and forgetting and whatnot, but it's really about Obi-Wan getting into action and being forced into situations where he has to put the Force into action. No pun intended. It was similar in episode two where you know with Leia falling like he had to figure out how to connect with the force in order to rescue her now we're in a similar situation where he has to rescue her again and he has to deploy not just <laughs> the ability to make Leia float but a whole host of other force abilities in order to survive this situation and I'd say the way that they've kind of built that up has been really well done and getting him to use his lightsaber for the first time and having sort of a, a momentary action pose where you're like, oh yeah, he's finally sort of slipping in and having you know moments of, yes, this is who I used to be. Right? That is starting to come through and the way that they have kind of gently built that up has been very cool, very restrained, very well done. They've made a point of not making him be like, oh, I haven't done anything with this in a few years and now just suddenly I'm a bad mamma jamma all over again in the drop of hat. No, they've let him work up to this very well. Now for a fifth thing, we'll talk about a setup that they almost kind of went through with, but not quite, and that has to do with the fact that in the previous episode, they talked about how Force-sensitive children are being disappeared by the Empire and nobody knows what happens to them. So then you get into this episode and as Tala is looking at the schematics for the fortress, she's like, you know, what are they hiding down there, right? So you get the idea that this is where Force-sensitive children are being sent to, that they're being brought to the Fortress Inquisitorius. At least that's the setup that they seem to be giving us. But as Obi-Wan goes through part of the secure sector of the facility in order to find Leia, we see something different. It's not just a fortress, it's a tomb, as Obi-Wan says. And it's hard to say for sure whether that's entirely accurate. And the reason why I'm saying that is because these people that we see encased in amber, like, you know, some sort of amber liquid, like they could be dead. They could be in some sort of, you know, stasis or, you know, it's not carbonite, obviously, but some sort of hibernation, right? But probably dead, probably dead. And we do see a youngling here. So yeah, they kind of got near the idea that they were setting up, but they didn't actually follow through with it. I'm not saying that I wanted to see that quite Honestly, I mean, I think that would kind of be you know, traumatizing in a way, but yeah, they kind of set the idea up and then they just, they don't go near it. So I'm just kind of wondering if they should have necessarily set up the idea in the first place. That's the sort of dilemma I'm kind of sitting at with basically on this. The sixth thing I want to flag is how this is such a female character driven episode and it's really 
awesomely done. This episode really is driven by the interactions between Riva and Leia and Riva and Tala. And I think it's just fantastic. All the characters are so well drawn and <laughs> Leia's thing about, are we having a staring contest? Like just so much fun and does give you echoes of Rey in The Force Awakens and also of you know, her own character in A New Hope. And the last point we'll talk about is the tracker setup situation. So I had a moment where I was certain that Leia was going to say something about Dantooine. Then I thought Tala was going to say something about Dantooine. She mentions Florum, actually, which is where Hondo Onaka was hanging out in the Clone Wars. So yeah, wouldn't it be funny if they did something with Florum later on and Hondo Onaka showed up in this series? That would be crazy. But I'm digressing. <laughs> we get Vader showing up at the end of this episode and... And it's thrilling, like the energy that he brings, the menace that he brings. Like they are really committed to actually making Vader the scary monster enemy that he was supposed to be when we saw him in Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back, and that earned him that you know near top spot on one of the you know AFI's hundred all-time villains list. Like he's really earning it, and the writers of this and Rogue One are making a point of letting him earn that title. But Reva getting the tracker onto Obi-Wan, like she tells Vader it's Obi-Wan, it's obviously not Obi-Wan, so she herself is a pretty darn good liar. <laughs> she says she appreciates that with Tala as well. And, you know, you do wonder, like, well, when did Reva get to slip Lola back to Leia? That is kind of like, eh, yeah, a little, you know... <laughs> It's a little gap there, but this also has that sort of freight train energy that Larry Kasdan has talked about with The Force Awakens. Like, you get the narrative going fast enough, then you kind of skip over all of the little bits like that. And that's all in terms of the major points I wanted to break down for you in reviewing part four of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. The thing that I wanted to circle back to was just my own personal thrill, which was when <laughs> they're on Jabim talking about going to Nur, and they get a mention of T-47s that are only actually being used for hauling sewage. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, because this, of course, is exactly like the Empire Strikes Back with the T-47s that couldn't be adapted to the cold, but they came into play at the end of the episode, and out of every ship in Star Wars, I love snowspeeders better than anything. So to see T-47 show up in this scene to the rescue, oh my gosh, that was just a personal high moment for me in this episode. I love it, I love it, I love it. <laughs> it's just my favorite. So yeah, I don't know what it is about those ships, but I just love them so much. So that was a thrill for me. <laughs> that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. It just remains for me to say, thank you so much for joining me for it as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.